John, hold the door. Hold the door. There. Come on. Just, okay, hold on. Let me, uh, the nails have dropped it. Okay, okay, okay. There, that should hold. Okay. <sighs> All right. Well, didn't look like anyone was in this house. Hello? Hey, the TV's on. Oh, the DVD player's on. Hey, there's some podcasting equipment that's also on. Huh. You want to do this? Just to be sure, you did nail in all of the boards, like, as much as you could, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was a carpenter for a, a few years. I think I'd know how to nail in a few boards. Uh, well, I'm just gonna hit eject on this player and... Diary of the Dead? Oh, yes. Uh, the George Romero 2007 film? Yeah. Uh, not the movie I would have chosen to go out on. And uh, based on the bloodstains, oh boy, it got bad in here. Well, let's let's hit play on that bad boy. Ba -ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba -ba something plays here. That's a good theme song. I like that. <laughs> I'm not sure what else, aside from fighting zombies, that there really is left to live for. <laughs> uh, neither are the the characters in this movie. Maybe I don't know. Let's let's talk this out. Uh, <laughs> 2007's Diary of the Dead, uh, budget yeah. of reportedly about two million. Box office of Wikipedia says 5.3. I, I uh, d happened to download all of Wikipedia onto my phone. Written and directed by George Romero, of course, the master himself. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. produced by Peter Grunwald, who produced pretty much all of his like later works, uh, including Land of the Dead and then the follow-up to the Survival of the Dead. What did he start with? Do you know? What did he start with? Yeah. As as producer, um, yeah. With with George, I think it was Monkey Shines. Okay. Um, the movie I always confuse with the the Brian Cranston movie, uh, where there's a monkey in it. Brian Cranston. There's like movie. there's like an evil monkey. You're okay. The only thing that's coming to mind is Monkey Bone, which was the Brendan Fraser movie. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, no, that's not it. No, no. There's a there's a Brian Cranston movie with an evil monkey, and I'm not gonna. Um, I have to conserve my battery. I'm not gonna look that up now. Oh, boy! I if we don't get eaten, I have to know what that is. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll 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 try and find it when we loot a video store. Uh, this is a found footage movie, which I I think is really cool. Uh, it was certainly something that was on George's mind based on the, the interviews uh, and like special features that I watched. And uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this movie. I'm, I'm like one of two people in the world who liked this. This is definitely a, a mixed review. Movie. Now, Theron, I'm going like to tell you right now, yeah. I am not the other person. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I gleaned that. Yeah, well, when we were when we were talking about this movie while we were boarding up the the other windows in the mm -hmm. downstairs, uh, you you mentioned that you did not care for it as as much as I seem to do. I've I've probably seen this movie five or six times. Five or six, I I would love for you to convince me. I may have seen this more than Dawn of the Dead. I don't know. There's just something about it. Ooh. 
Okay. This is an interesting movie to start our apocalypse with. Yeah, it's it's not the same category as Night of the Living Dead, which I watch literally every year. Although I'm, you know, of course now we're living that scenario and it's horrifying down to my bones. But it's it's still good. This sticks with me. Huh. When was the first time that you saw this movie? I think I bought this on DVD pretty much as soon as it was available. Okay. So must have been 2008 or 9. That was before I met you, which I think uh, Isn't I think that weird? is everything I need to know. Yeah. Well, that'll be a nice bookend if we get killed tonight. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, these zombies. I am not thrilled. <laughs> I, could, I could do without these guys. I'll tell you what. I will tell you what. Well, uh, I guess if anybody is left to even listen to this, I know a lot of you are trapped at home with the situation going on. Uh, Theron, what what can you tell us about the plot of this movie? Sure. This movie follows a small group of college film students who get caught out uh, in the open while recording, ironically, a horror movie for a college credit class. Um, through many misadventures, they make their way across the countryside to one of their friends' houses where they think they can hole up for a little bit. Along the way, they encounter the best and worst that humanity has to offer. Uh, And it's sort of voyeuristically filmed, so we wonder if anything was worth it in the end. Is that about accurate? That that sounds like about the movie I watched. Yeah. It starts with... So it, it is pretty much... It's, it's all found footage. Now, it does have this this sort of, like, conceit that I don't necessarily like about it, mm-hmm. where uh, they've got these voiceovers uh, from one of the surviving college students, mm-hmm. where she's Deborah, like, I've, right? added, I've added music and sound effects, and I've done some edits to, to scare you more, because I, I want you to be scared. I want you to wake up. Yes. Oh, boy, um, did I remember that line throughout the movie. <laughs> which is a, a, a weird choice if you're going with the conceit that this is a, a thing that is happening uh, right. all over. Because, um, like, I, you know, I, I understand that there's maybe, like, a social call to action in kind of, like, the meta text of it, mm-hmm. right? But that that's just a, that's a weird way to frame it. Uh, the movie actually opens in a way that I, I think is really neat. The first thing that happens is that there's a news crew out looking at uh, a murder or suicide that has just occurred. Mm. Um, and the very, very first action is that uh, an ambulance rolls into flame and a cameraman jumps out and asks them to move because they're blocking a shot and they oblige. Yes. And I think that's a really I think that's a really strong opening because that's kind of the whole that's the whole thing in a mm-hmm. nutshell, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh we'll we'll do anything for the the media. What was the when did uh, Nightcrawler come out? Have you seen that? I haven't seen. I want to say Nightcrawler was. I would have been living in St. Louis, I think, at the time. I think Nightcrawler was 2014, maybe. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, definitely makes me uh, think of that movie when you describe it that way. Gave you gave you some Nightcrawler vibes. It did. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, and then uh, and then we sort of like, you know, uh, of course the 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 victims of the murder suicide rise up. They bite some cops, and then uh, they get shot a bunch uh, until they're de- they're dead. And then it then it cuts over to this college film production where we kind of meet our cast and they start figuring out what's going on. Uh, I guess it's it's also important to say this movie is sort of a a reboot. I guess now we might call it like a soft reboot. Kinda, uh, yeah. You know, like acknowledging the continuity of, mm-hmm. of something that was happening while also making its own. So once again, George Romero, ahead of his time, inventing the soft reboot before anybody else did. Right. Almost like uh, the... It makes me think of the Thing remake. Oh, yeah. Yeah? The, the You mean the 2011 one? Not the... Not exactly. The, yeah. Yeah, the the beat-for-beat beat remake of the Thing. <laughs> well, yeah. I I think 2011, the female is the lead role, and then it turns out like, oh, this is a prequel. Yeah, there's something to that. And, and in fact, it, there's, a, there's a part in the movie where you can hear on the radio, there's like omnipresent radio narration through yeah. it, right? And you can hear on the radio that they are playing the uh, the the announcement from the original Night of the Living Dead, which sort oh, of... Oh, I definitely puts, caught that. The, it puts those two movies in conversation, which I, you know, obviously not an accident. I, right. I know he was a, I know he was a guy who liked to figure things out kind of on the day. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have no idea what his pre-production was like for, for anything, but I, I know they did a lot of stuff on the day where they would go, wouldn't it be cool if, and then they'd figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. But um, like in, in general, even with that, I, I don't, I think that guy knows what he's doing. He doesn't like make mistakes. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to agree that he, he really committed to every choice that he made. Like none of this was just sort of winking it. I would say. Yeah. And and they couldn't. This this might have been like his most planned movie. <laughs> Frankly, it had to have been because uh, this was this was a new a new motive of operation for pretty much everybody involved. He'd certainly never done a found footage movie right before. Um, in interviews, that he only talked about uh, Blair Witch and Cloverfield, which I've seen those two. And vantage point, which I have not. I don't even really know what that is, but those are the, those are his three like reference points for coming up with this. And I, I guess, like yeah, there were only there were other found footage movies, but they were not the thing that they are, and they they've kind of gone back out of fashion. Yeah, I suppose so. And even like Cloverfield was. Like, I also learned from some interviews that Romero had no idea that that was in production at the same time. Like, he's talked about how it's almost like this collective unconscious sort of thing that he was making Diary of the Dead at the same time that Cloverfield was being made, at the same time as another movie called Redacted was being made by Brian De Palma that had this similar idea. And I'm not sure when, uh, I can't remember when Quarantine or uh, Wreck came out the spanish film that got turned into quarantine probably not too far away uh but that's that's another found footage zombie movie that i Mm -hmm. i think got a lot more traction Mm -hmm. that was 2007 actually the same year oh okay so yeah fascinating 
Yeah, so all of these were being produced about the same time in like 2006. But I, I guess they were just they were thinking about the the same thing that he was like. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know specifically he was interested in examining our relationship to emerging media, right? So mm-hmm. uh, th- in fact, this this film as part of its promo campaign had a contest on MySpace of of all places where like featured you could submit a, a short film like under three minutes and they would pick some winners to be included with the dvd i have watched them all uh yep. they're fine they're fine uh one one's even really good in fact oh okay i'm i'm glad to hear that i was unsure what to expect and also i felt like it was like i read it on the back of the dvd case it was left here uh by this family god rest their souls but um, I wondered if they were really given any compensation beyond exposure. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I. I. I just. I do think it's interesting that he talks so much in interviews about people just kind of want to be heard. They want to be important. They want to be experts, and that seems that seems mm. to be what they're willing to be compensated with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. It's interesting that he's critical of that. Uh, I, th- I think in this film where which mm-hmm. has like because of the radio and it has like uh, a lot of sort of talking heads mm-hmm. that a- appear as as they're able to get sort of sporadic internet access and, and look at the the news I, I think it's interesting that he maybe turned around and, and might have done the same thing to these these contributors on myspace absolutely um, although one of like one of the winners is uh, teller from Penn and teller um, no kidding? Huh. Yeah, from you know the the Vegas magician. It, I it's it's one of the it's one of the the two good ones. Mm. Uh, two and a half. There's there's one that has a lot of of promise. It doesn't stick the landing, but uh, mm. it's it's just interesting that he, you know he's he's got one in there, and mm. that it's 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 fun and funny, and of course he. Uh, is is using a lot of what I assume are his his own personal guns, in in that movie. Uh, as he teller, he, you mean? Is he a big yeah, gun enthusiast? Uh, I I I don't know one way or the other, but I know he and Penn are are, are famously open about being libertarians. So I would I would assume so. Ah, uh, yes. But but I digress. As as I promised, I would not do. Uh, <laughs> We got as far as them being in the woods. We meet our characters. I don't have a lot to say about the characters. Uh, I, I would say in, in general, uh, at least in the dead movies, that Romero kind of plays in bold sort of archetypes. Like, he's he's got these characters who are just, like, iconic, but don't... They're not complicated, you know? Yeah. Like, yes, they... They they change and evolve a little bit, but we we don't watch his films because of its character work, right? Right. So I don't have a lot to say about the characters. One is uh, one is the director, and he becomes like the cameraman for the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. One is another director who's uh, you know sort of skeptical about everything going on. It takes him uh, quite a lot of convincing to understand that there's mm-hmm. a zombie apocalypse happening. There's uh, someone who's, uh, broadly speaking, in any other movie, I would call him, like, the nerd. Oh, yeah. That was how I referred to him while I was watching it. 
Yeah, which is weird because he doesn't he doesn't really act like it, but he doesn't really seem to have a lot of characterization. He just kind of looks like one, but when it comes down to it, he's like the most violent. Um, you've got uh, sort of the generic hot girl. It's Amy Lalonde playing this Texan mm-hmm. college student, uh, and and to her credit, she ob- objects to being cast in this horror movie that they that they were making as like a sexy blonde lady. She does not care for this. She thinks it's stupid. It's predictable, but there's actually a nice payoff to this later when she's like how come women in movies are always tripping over their shoes and their dresses and like getting their their tops ripped off and stuff by monsters yeah and then boy does she get her top ripped off you just made it sound like she got killed she did not (laughs) she uh oh um, no no i meant in the sense that like it was sort of ridiculous how much it agreed with her analysis yeah um and like I said, it's it's you, you see it coming, but uh, it's it's I think an okay payoff, and and she is in fact upset that this is happening, and she does kind of I don't know she 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 kind of she gets she gets her revenge a little bit, which I think is is great. But any other thoughts on these on these characters? Oh, they're also joined by their uh, their faculty advisor, who you quite liked. Well, I I would not go that far. I was fascinated by him, I will say. He gave a compelling performance? No. No? Okay. <laughs> I was just... You've, you've brought him up a bunch uh, in our conversations. Uh, so I was just... I was, I was wondering what, what, what brought you to him. But I guess we can talk about that in segments if you want. I, I'm willing to say this right now, which is... Uh, did you ever watch the Battlestar Galactica series from like 2004 why yes i did okay the teacher of diary of the dead immediately reminded me of the lawyer in battlestar galactica named romo lampkin do you recall him okay yes yes i do okay in that we'd had a relatively serious story up to this point and then out of nowhere there's this wisecracking british guy (laughs) impossibly wisecracking british guy who is also an alcoholic who might also be a kleptomaniac who has an opinion about everything that happens through the whole movie yeah he's uh, you you get the sense that this is george romero's uh oc do not steal A, a little bit and i just think like i of all of the characters, that was the most unbelievable character of, like, someone you would actually encounter and bring along on your zombie journey. You'll notice that we don't have a teacher with us right now in this boarded-up house. Well, we we did, but he died. And, frankly, for good reason. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, who, who, needs a, who needs a French teacher in the apocalypse? Je ne sais quoi. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think that character in particular was what initially really took me out of this movie. Yeah, he's 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 definitely over he's definitely overwrought. That's a great word for it. A, a few a few times he serves as an additional voiceover. Like he's he's got some moments where he like literally turns to the camera and he's like, "This is what is happening here. That's what this is about." Yeah, he he seems like he's in uh, he's an actor searching for some scenery to chew. It's just not quite that kind of movie the same way that 
Day of the Dead was. Like, you've got Colonel mm-hmm. Rhodes, like, just, like, running rip shit all over the place, like, screaming. He does, but it works. Yeah, no, it's great. He's like a, he's like a caged animal. Yep. Which is which is perfect for that role, and you, you you get the sense that maybe he was supposed to be someone someone like that, someone to get like a real actor <laughs> to get that energy. Um, and I'm I'm not I again I do think uh, Scott Wentworth who plays that that character I, mm-hmm. I think he does the best he can with what he has, but he's he's basically like he's the footnotes in a Hitchhiker's Guidebook. He's 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 got all these sort of asides constantly i don't know that that works for me i i like a, a few things that he does i, I like that he you know sure. implies that his character might have been in the army or something right he's got some he says the war but you don't really know what war he's referring to at this point yeah and like um you know he, he doesn't he doesn't like using guns uh so later he gets a bow and arrow and he's equally good with that of course of course, because he's a he's a seventh level fighter. He can use whatever whatever weapon he picks up. And then he's like, "Oh, I was in the I was on the archery team. I was hoping I would never have to use it." Um, I don't know. Like he he clearly put some thought into this character. Would not surprise me if he he suggested things to George, and mm-hmm. George was like, "Yeah, that that sounds great. Let's do it." Yeah, I definitely get the impression that like e- even aside from suggestions, he probably played the character exactly as written. Yeah, definitely. Oh, he also he also offers them five college credits for making this movie, which is an insane amount of college credits. That's a heavy load. That's <laughs> Yeah, but for making a movie, buddy, you you better bet I would like I would just bang that out and then take the like basically the rest of the semester off. Does he survive to the end of the movie? I honestly can't remember. He uh, he does yes he's one of the oh right because he's, he's in the bunker he's one of the people who makes it into the panic room at the end right so he could in fact give them those credits y- yes in fact I suppose so it does have a happy ending they do get their credits <laughs> <laughs> which you know considering the amount of student debt that they're about to go into whew. I don't know all the bankers are getting eaten so I. They're probably, I don't know, any, anything they do over the next 10 years is going to count as uh, public service. So in 10 years, they'll be able to, they'll be able to erase it. It's fine. Uh-huh. One, one of the students, uh, after they escape and run over some, some zombies on the road, the student he was driving the car, oh, yeah. produces a gun from, from nowhere and uh, attempts to, to kill herself. Doesn't work, so they take her to a hospital. This was one of the weirder parts of the movie. Not the fact that they're in the hospital, but just like, they were in the middle of nowhere. Indeed. Uh, and then and then in the next scene, they're in an abandoned hospital. Uh, and not only that, but that hospital had a high-end HD video camera just hanging out in a room. Well, that kind of gets explained later. They show the last recording on it, which was like a guy uh, filming his kids like birthday right uh yes and then a zombie clown comes and and bites him i think we can assume that he was like holding that while they rushed him to the hospital and so that that was still in his hands Hmm. which is fine it feels like that was trying to be in conversation with signs a little bit that you know that scene in signs with a clown no there's there's no there's no yeah actually uh all of the aliens in in signs turned out to be uh clowns 
Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while. No, there's a, there's a scene uh, that, like, it's like a kid's birthday party in, like, Mexico, I think, and the uh-huh. alien appears, and it's really scary. I think that might be trying to, to reference that somehow. It doesn't really mm. work because it doesn't quite have any of the things that makes that scene work uh, mm-hmm. in science, including a jump scare, which this definitely doesn't have. In fact, they they uh, they take they try to beep the the zombie clown's nose, and his like whole nose comes off. It does. Yes, I definitely remember that part. How fast is that motherfucker decaying? I think he has to have been decaying for the last couple of hours. <laughs> it's just 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 falling right right to pieces immediately. Yeah. Now I I know that it's not particularly safe, but if you could, I would really appreciate it if you could shine the flashlight while I try and find the restroom in this house. Okay, hold on, I. There's my flashlight. Thank God you're back. You made it. Just enjoying this salted nut roll that I surprisingly found in this out-of-the-way farmhouse. (laughs) Okay, and I'm good. Yeah, so they're they're in this hospital, and this is kind of where the the situation sort of begins to hit home, because the the hospital is immediately abandoned, right? Apparently, it's been right, it's only right. been a few hours, but everyone is dead or gone, which is which is convenient for the budget of this movie, I suppose. Well, but also, like, of course, there would be so many people who were like on the verge of death in a hospital. Oh yeah, absolutely. It would be. This is where they, they you know, figure out like, oh, you got to shoot him in the head. Uh, this is this is where they they start realizing like, oh, it's it's the bites, yeah, that, yep. that do it. Uh, this is where they uh, find their second camera. I I do like in the, in the movie where the guy, Jason, uh, our main character played by by Joshua Close, yeah, has to stay plugged in to the wall while the battery charges. Uh, I, I like that they make that a concern. Mm, mm-hmm. One of the things I, I like about Romero's movies in general is that uh, things things work and also things fail. Mm-hmm. Any of his movies you watch where people are like boarding up windows or whatever, he's he's thought through all this, and it 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 would be a concern to you know keep the camera charged. And I, I just I think another filmmaker might not have come up with that, or else it would be full charge until the very end of the movie. Uh, and then, like the the last thing would be the camera running out of batteries. That's that's how almost every other found footage movie ends. Sure, but you know he he thought through this one, and even like he hears like screaming and like gunshots and stuff. His friends are in danger, but he's he's more interested in in making sure the camera is charged. This is sort of like this fetish object that he's tied himself to, which presumably will protect him somehow from the apocalypse. Yeah. And it, it almost it, it almost does. It's it, it does kind of work as a talisman of sorts. Oh, 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 I do gotta talk about this. They they try and kill a zombie with a defibrillator, uh, by putting the paddles against her head. All it does is make her eyeballs explode. Yeah. And like the zombie is like stunned, which is something my wife giggled at a lot and so did I, because I also thought if if that's how defibrillators work wouldn't that happen literally every time you tried to <laughs> resuscitate anybody with them it would make their eyeballs explode <laughs> <laughs> well but that's, how often do you put a defibrillator i don't not an electrician 
but I don't think that's how that works. I think <laughs> I think if any amount, if if a defibrillator next to your temples can make your eyeballs explode, a defibrillator right in your chest would do the same thing, right? Uh, I guess it depends on how. <laughs> is, is the brain that insulated? Y- you know, the heart compares to <laughs> the eyes in terms of I guess. structural integrity. I guess it's it's a it's a neat idea that it 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 winds up being silly, although. You know, to its credit, it's still kind of silly in the movie because it, it doesn't work. It does not kill the zombie. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say, actually, so one of the things that I learned while reading about this movie is that George Romero, after this is now his fifth zombie movie. Yeah. He's just running out of ideas of <laughs> how to kill a zombie. He said four movies worth of trying to figure out like, well, OK, we already did that one on the last movie so how are we going to be inventive about this one and apparently his method is he just takes a shower that's how i do my thinking and every time he takes a shower he comes up with a new way of killing a zombie and the defibrillator happened to be one of them what a what a what a just a real guy you know he is yes i definitely got that impression how could you not be coming from Pittsburgh? What a legend. <laughs> Just doing that. He worked He worked with Mr. Rogers, for God's sake. He did. I read that. And then I immediately thought of uh, Michael Keaton working for Mr. Rogers. And I was sad that the two of them never got together for a movie project. G- George Romero and Michael Keaton. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Who would, who would he have been? Oh, oh, he would have been the Dennis Hopper character. In in land, oh, he would have been so good at that. He would have been so good at that. That would have been great. Maybe we can make a, a zombie movie after this. It'd be easy. All we have to do is turn on our phone cameras until they run out of battery. Te- technic technically anything we do is a zombie movie as long as we're recording it now. I think that was the point of Diary of the Dead. I think that was the point of Diary of the Dead. Uh, they uh, they make their way to a barn. Because they, they have some car trouble, and they are rescued by the uh, the Amish man. Yes, yes, the Amish man. I, uh, you know, I, I actually liked this this part. Sounds like you uh, also didn't, but I, I thought, again, oh, this is a neat idea, that there is a deaf Amish man who owns this property, uh, who gives them shelter, uh, is able to blow up some zombies with dynamite, and is able to to kill several others, but is un- unfortunately killed in the uh, ensuing carnage as more and more zombies uh, spawn in from the nearby spawn point. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it should be pointed out that he, you know, it's not like he was taken completely by surprise. Like, he did, he was the author of his own death. I, I suppose, yes. One of, one of the more ridiculous uh, kills in this movie, a, a zombie bites him and he swings a uh, like a scythe through his own skull, uh, killing both him and the zombie who's biting him. Yeah, and that is a shower idea from Romero that, frankly, I had not seen before. <laughs> and I hope never to see again, because that is ridiculous. <laughs> I appreciate... Like, I will admit to the realism of, okay, these are students in Pittsburgh, so 
they're obviously in the Pennsylvania countryside throughout the movie, so it, it would in fact make sense to run into an Amish man. They're gonna exist in the zombie apocalypse. Yes, and I, I, I think it would. I think you could hang a whole movie on that. Honestly, potentially, yeah, yeah. And 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 there's a. I don't know. Like Blood Quantum is a movie about um, indigenous Canadians who have survived the zombie apocalypse by virtue of their their tribe is immune to it through whatever genetic oh. predisposition they they can survive a zombie bite and nobody else can and and this topic should be explored for uh like traditionally marginalized communities whose whose unique mm-hmm. sort of identity is is what allows them to survive the apocalypse i i think there's there's a lot there's a lot of room there there's actually a I don't know if it was cut or whatever, but uh, at at some point it was like a follow up book to World War Z with like different different authors contributing stories, mm. and one of them was a was an Amish community surviving the apocalypse, and it's it is in in part their isolation and like their community doesn't make noise, so it doesn't attract the zombies. Uh, you know they have a lot of discipline and stuff, and they can like mm. teach their children not to you know not to fuck around with zombies and they also after like a, a, f- a few zombies get into their community and like eat their cattle and stuff they wind up hooking them to plows <laughs> because oh no well no it's it's in in the book it's it's framed as like if you don't work you don't eat and since these people have already eaten we shall put them to work uh, and so they're like, because they they've they've eaten all their plow animals. I'm 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 not prepared to comment on the on the imagery or anything. I just think it's a that's one of those kind of neat ideas that comes from. Well, let's let's think about how that would how that would work. Yeah, yeah, I I see it. Anyway, that that didn't wind up in World War Z, uh, to my recollection, but it was in some other some other book that Max Brooks wrote. If if that was uh, something he wrote, uh, I I do think it deserved to be on the cutting room floor, but that is it. At least another example I can mm-hmm. I can think of. And so yeah, I, I really think you could hang a whole a whole movie on Amish zombie apocalypse. You could even probably do it respectfully and tastefully. This was okay. <laughs> This one was okay. I was a little disappointed to learn that that um, they did not cast a uh, a deaf actor in that role. I think that would have been a, mm. an an easy an easy thing to do. Mm. But you know, it was also two thousand seven. People weren't weren't quite there in terms of thinking about that stuff. Yeah. I, and George Romero seems like the the type of person who, if anyone had said anything at any point, he would have gone, "Oh yeah, okay, let's do that." I can see that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, the the kids wind up in a in a compound of some sort that's been like taken over by the local black community um, mm-hmm. because you know because it's a George Romero movie so we got to have some strong powerful black characters mm-hmm. and these are these are fine he felt obligated yeah a little bit uh, I I don't like that their leader is like smart and that everyone else is sort of like gangster stereotypes a little bit Hmm. now why is that because it's just another thing of like the the leader of Mm -hmm. of that group is like we're not leaving because for the first time we have the power uh, Mm. here because everybody left and i also don't like that framing because i i would have i would have more readily accepted something of like 
you know, they ask him, why don't you leave? And it's because, like, I would have been more interested if he had said something like, this is our home. Uh, <laughs> or, if, like, mm. you know, like, this is our community and we're here to look after each other. That To me, that's that's both more interesting. It would have showed a little more, like, growth on Romero's part. And uh, that it that mm. is typically how people actually respond in, in times of, of incredible crisis. But when it's just like oh we have the power then it's then it's just kind of leaning back into the 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 normal criticism of zombie movies as this these this kind of like a right-wing media mm. right where every everyone's a big piece of shit and the only thing that keeps us from looting and and killing everything is this little like veneer of society right which is is right. the idea he he typically explores and he's just sort of saying it a little more like urbane this time uh, with mm. through this character. Yeah, I think that's a it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, I I can see that. I understand what you're getting at. <sighs> they go to um, the girlfriend's house. Um, <laughs> Michelle Morgan plays Deborah, who is Jason's girlfriend. They go to her house. They uh, of course find her family has been zombified. Uh, they kill all them and escape. Uh, they get robbed by the National Guard, who are left. And then finally they, they arrive just in time for the third act at Ridley. That's How convenient. Their, their classmate, Ridley, uh, mm-hmm. played by Philip Riccio, who uh, was is not quite worth talking about in one of our segments coming up. Uh, but he plays... Uh, Jared Kushner in the like Call Me Rule TV adaptation that was, yeah, that's good casting, right? But that's kind of that's all, really all I wanted to say about him. I I I love this character though. I think this guy is great. He, here's a guy chewing scenery. Uh, Ridley played the oh Ridley big played time. the mummy in their student film. Uh, he's uh-huh. like a all wrapped up in bandages, which is how he stays for the show. Uh, he's just this like spoiled rich kid. Uh, he's got this huge mansion, uh, which has like a pool and a panic room and like an enormous like walk-in freezer, and like generators and all this stuff. Uh, and he's just he's just like partying his life away at the end of the world. So they they're in this this house. Uh, everything of course breaks bad. It turns out Ridley had been bitten the whole time. He has shoved all of his uh, zombified family and staff and one of the other film students uh, as, as they all turned undead he shoved them into the pool where they apparently couldn't escape which I thought was smart I thought that was great yeah he keeps saying uh, he keeps he, he's being really cagey about it he keeps saying like they're out back uh, or I buried them but he didn't like bury them in the garden he just shoved them in the pool and they can't they can't get out you know zombies can't swim right or even like climb ladders most of the time yeah which which they do wind up doing at the very end which i think really undercuts the <laughs> the scene <laughs> uh at, at the very at the very end there's a thing on the monitor showing the zombies climbing out of the pool because they like found the stairs which i would have mm-hmm. i would have just not had because it's <laughs> like oh couldn't they have just done that yeah, well, I think it was maybe their moment of awakening, sort of like uh, Big Daddy in the previous movie. Oh, oh, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, they they stayed underwater until they got smart. Right, that one of them just sort of happened upon the ladder, and it just like learned behavior. Yeah, an idea sparked, 
they saw the monolith and they were like ready when the weird music came up from Penderecki. Gotcha. Okay, sure. Sure, I'll take that. Uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, the other film students die, uh, including Jason, who gets bit by Ridley. Uh, there's a, a great moment, I, I think, uh, where Professor Maxwell then uh, cuts his head in half with a sword, <laughs> and then uh, our three survivors run, run into the panic room. Uh, and, and shut the door as, as the zombies start breaking in. Which seems uh, short-sighted, considering everything that they've gone through to date. Yeah, and then, it, then Deborah, I, I guess, edits the rest of the movie together. It, and this has kind of been set up. They're, they're showing uh, Jason is editing uh, the movie together whenever he has a, a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then Deborah uh, apparently finishes it and uploads it. And this, this dear reader, is the the story you you just finished watching. Wait, so is she? So she finishes editing in the safe room. I I think that's the implication because then she also adds her like voiceovers and stuff. Right. And the music. She 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 has added all this and edited the movie together, which is why I don't think it's supposed to be a tragic ending. Even as she ends on a note of uh, wondering if humanity is worth saving, because she's showing some footage mm. of like some good old boy hunters uh, mm-hmm. like using zombies for target practice, uh, which which I also like because that's the end of the first movie of Night of the Living mm-hmm. Dead in a, in a right. very real way. Uh, it's just like George Romero's. Uh, Opinions on, I think, guns and authority has has changed quite a bit mm. uh, since the late '60s, and it was not positive to begin with. Um, but yeah, yeah, evidently she was able to complete this and disseminate it over the internet somehow. One presumably the implication being that humankind survives somehow in order for us, the viewers, to be watching this. Right. I, I think maybe that's what her call to action is supposed to be at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want you to wake up. Uh, and it might be like, wake up and, you know, evolve to a better state, humankind. We, right. We've had this brush, we've had this brush with death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then some, uh, we, we have a chance to, to, to do better here. So it's like a, don't forget that these events did actually happen. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, maybe too generous of a reading on it, but I think it is It is a a reading. I, I think uh, mm-hmm. George Romero probably just thinks that, you know, humanity is kind of nasty British in short, I guess. <laughs> and What? I, I want to make sure I heard you correctly. Nasty British and short? <laughs> Oh, uh, that's funny. That's funny. No, nasty, brutish, and short. You've never heard that term? Brutish. Okay. Okay. No, I've definitely heard that. Nasty, nasty British, and short, just like Professor Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> do you have Do you have any other thoughts on uh, scenes or the story? Or well, okay. So I think the thing that I struggled with the most while watching this movie is that. So, like, in the in the previous movies that Romero made, you know, yes, they were a straightforward zombie movie. But if you thought about it for a little bit, you would get a sense of, like, oh, actually, there's some interesting social commentary here. Like, I can see how Romero is sort of looking ahead 
to what he could imagine happening in the next several years. Uh, and he was trying to suggest what that might be with the zombie movies. And then in this movie, it felt like his vision was a little, like, not quite as far in the future. And he was not nearly as subtle about it. The whole time, very above the board of, like, oh, these young people, they're recording a little too much. Boy, are they obsessed with documenting everything. <laughs> I, I I think a common criticism of, of this movie uh, includes the words heavy and handed. And I can absolutely see that. Yeah, and I I would agree with that. Uh, this this is where I, I think you and I differ a little bit. Um, hey, what was that? Uh, did you take the bedroom? Oh, we walked right into the living We didn't check any of the other rooms. God Oh, 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 shit, John, get up, get up, that's, oh my god. That was a close one. Mental note, next time we should probably check the room before we start recording. That makes sense. Well, uh, we were talking about the themes in this. Uh, yeah, we said... Heavy-handed, maybe a little bit. At least a little bit. In, uh, in, in Red Letter Media, they said something about Land of the Dead, where they were like, Latter-day Romero uh, seems to be aware that people said, hey, your movies have social commentary in them. And he sort of like leaned into that, uh. Uh, which, which, I don't, which I don't totally agree with. Because um, I, I think he has generally always had some idea of what he wanted to say. Uh-huh. Uh which which makes a lot of sense especially like his training was in quite famously advertising. Right, you, right. You have to know what your message is. You you can't just like make that up on on the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh you you got to know what your product is that you're selling. So I, I I think coming from that background, he always had some idea of what he was trying to say. I don't think that's a new one mm-hmm. and I don't I don't think this is necessarily any more clumsy than Land of the Dead. Which I thought is more, oh, bland, I guess. Yeah. I I know, like, some of the things he was thinking about when he was making this one uh, from interviews and stuff. One thing that he brings up a lot, even makes its way into the film as a line of dialogue. He said, and, uh, you know, in the movie, some some news reporter says over the radio, uh, when I was a kid, we had three three news channels. And now there's forty thousand, and everyone's got a camera, right? So, mm-hmm. part of part of the thing he's talking about is not necessarily that oh, these kids are always recording stuff because we weren't even really there yet, right? Not in not in two thousand six, two thousand seven, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a thing that did terrify him was that, and and this is where I, I think this is a a thing where he was ahead of his time, is that that did democratize who can who can share information mm-hmm. and who can receive it usually for ill because at least with NBC, CBS, CNN, whatever nominally there's some kind of fact checking going on, right? Mm-hmm. There's like some there's some legitimacy to this, but with the internet anybody can have a voice even if they're wrong. And I, I, I would say that we have really seen that explode since this time. 
in in ways that he could not have possibly anticipated where our our media has a a more more and more openly far right bias mm-hmm. uh just by just by feeling the need to to treat certain issues as a as a debate between two equal sides which illuminates uh very radical and very dangerous like far right ideas and ideology that wouldn't happen if there was some sort of like you know fact checking or or something but people want to see they want to see the debate that's what news networks thinks that we want to see so yeah i I think he was once again kind of ahead of the curve on this where i think we miss it a little bit is that i i would have rather i would have liked to have seen more more news from the internet getting it wrong getting things wrong Mm -hmm. i think that would have driven home the point of what he was saying a bit more well here can i uh I'd yeah. like to read you a quote, actually, from George Romero. Always. Because I also thought about this a lot. And, like, I'll start off by saying I, I think similarly about, at least with Night of the Living Dead and Dawn, that the social commentary that was there was interesting to me in the sense that it sort of presaged those problems becoming so much more prominent in society by several years. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, just basic example, Dawn of the Dead is all about, like, excess consumerism and capitalism gone wild and stuff like that. But it came out in the 70s, and the society at large really didn't start, like, looking into that until the 80s, after Reagan came into power. And then, like, ah, yes, now it's all about consumerism right. and everything. Um, and so with this movie, one of the interviews that I read with Romero, the interviewer is asking about the fact that this movie chronologically takes place at the same time as Night of the Living Dead. And so the interviewer was extrapolating of like, oh, well, do you think if you made a sequel that they might like go to the mall or go to the science lab from Day of the Dead? And Romero's response was, no, I don't think so. No, it's simultaneous. So they could, but that's not the way I would want to go with it. The biggest thing that we didn't touch on in Diary was the idea that somebody, anybody, any lunatic could throw up a blog and all of a sudden he's got 50 people following him. We didn't really touch on that so much, and that's a direction that I'd like to go with, the idea of people developing tribes just by preaching to the converted. People that tune in to Rush Limbaugh know what he's going to say and already agree. That's what happens, I think, with these columnists. Yeah, I, I, I saw that that uh, quote a few times. And, and he had, like, by by this time we were seeing the beginnings of uh, the Tea Party, yeah, just the very beginnings of them. Like he didn't he didn't know how bad it was going to get. Yeah, <laughs> frankly, uh, but I I don't know I I all I hear is you you agreeing with me uh, that like he he knew what he was trying to do. Well, but here's what I the reason I bring that up is that I think it's like okay, there's an example of like at the time he definitely still saw what was coming uh, in a very like yes accurate prescient way but I think with this movie that maybe he like rushed it a little bit because it, in the movie I don't think he really got that point across it, there was so much about like the perils of 
recording everything and distancing yourself from what you're recording and it was almost more like like when people get mad about a nature documentary recording a polar bear who's starving rather than like doing something to help the polar bear and that was an argument that we had in society but it's not nearly as interesting as what he like could have been doing with this this plot that he had constructed yeah i've got two thoughts on that one is that this is kind of what i said earlier that was that uh the the movie we got was not necessarily the movie that was in his head right or right. Uh, the movie that he he started thinking about maybe after this was in the can mm-hmm. uh and you know had to look back and start the edit and go well so what um what was this about actually <laughs> um and then the other thing is, uh, I was thinking about that whole, like the camera as an instrument of desensitization, mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how Romero felt about this, but I know I saw an interview with Tom Savini mm-hmm. once, and he was a, a battlefield photographer in Vietnam. Whoa! Um, I did not and know that. He talked about. He talked about the camera. Well, well, that's why he wasn't able to do the effects for Night of the Living Dead. Oh, apparently, huh. is he was supposed to, and then he was drafted. Wow. Yeah. So he was a photographer uh, in the armed forces. I don't. I don't know exactly what capacity that mm-hmm. that's in, or, or or how that works. But he he talks about. Um, like the camera and and the lens being a, a way to keep himself sane is that he had this this piece of glass that was doing the work for him and mm-hmm. it's, it's once again that sort of like that that talisman property of the camera right that right. it's oh that you know the the technology is doing this evil thing and uh, I read an essay about this movie that uh, references this idea that like the camera and the gun. Are the same thing is that this this is a, a technology that's committing the murder it's enabling you yeah. to do this thing and boy did uh, they make that clear in the dialogue yeah i could have done without all the voiceovers frankly <laughs> it's got that even without the voiceovers how many times did someone turn to somebody else and say here shoot them and hand over a camera i think i think that is clever i i do I, I do think that that's clever, and I, I I think he was definitely playing with the the dual meaning of of those words. Uh, in in fact, at the at the end of the movie, um, they're trying to check out Ridley's mansion, right, and see mm-hmm. if because uh, like the door's wide open, so they're like, "Fuck, it's probably crawling with zombies." Mm-hmm. Uh, but what what happens? Jason runs in first doesn't even check the room and he just turns around and says okay now everyone can come in so i can get you yes. coming in no i definitely get that uh, yep and i i think that's great i think stuff like that is great hmm. you know it it gives you it gives you this sense that uh this this character is is becoming unglued from reality mm-hmm. in a way and it's it's his like dedication to the camera that's doing it it's everyone else is living in the moment mm-hmm. and um He's he's unable to do that, and in in fact, this this essay also references the sort of the violence of the captured image, and that um, you know once once you once you put someone on film, like you've 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 almost taken taken away their consent 
uh, to to like live in that moment mm. ever again, right? Because like now it belongs to whoever sees that. It's it's not their own. Mm-hmm. And that's a I I think a neat idea that this film does it it does play with, uh, and I I think sometimes successfully. And and why I why I like this movie more than Land of the Dead is that it this is this is George Romero back in his like creative mode of uh, taking swings. I don't think they're all successful, but I, I think he is he is pushing himself and taking some risks with this. And I I think that's great. I, I think it, it you know it gives me hope that near the, like I, I hope at the end of my life I can still be producing things that I'm uncomfortable with. He definitely did not know how to shoot a found footage movie. He had to get other people to show him how to do that. He barely knew yeah. what the genre was. It was brand new. Mm-hmm. But he he wanted to do it because he was like this this is this is where the story is is coming from. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that facet of his creative personality of trying to figure out like what's going on and to say something about that with his art. Yeah, I I love a movie that's uh, that's ambitious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think there's a there's a lot of creators whose you know their their best work is is way behind them. Uh, and uh, you know certainly the some of the stuff he he produced at the end of his life was not as good like by far <laughs> some of his early work but um you know he's he's not like mel brooks i i made a, a joke on twitter the other day of wow they they could never they could never make blazing saddles today that's because all of the lead actors are dead and mel brooks is way past his creative peak <laughs> And I don't, I don't think the same thing was was quite true of, of George Romero. Yes, he, he fell, mm. but not nearly as as far as some other some other creatives had at that period in their life. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and and that 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 fills me with hope. And I, I I like this movie for I like this movie for what it almost was, which is isn't going to be true of all ambitious failures, but it's it's true of this one. I understand. Because I feel that way about uh, so many other creative endeavors that I've seen or or video games that I've played or so on. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that said, uh, I thought this was a terrible movie. <laughs> okay. I, I would like to, to hear... Uh, you've, you've heard me. Uh, let's, let's hear your version of that. Okay, so uh, watching through this movie... Especially knowing that certain death was outside the door the whole time. Um, I think maybe this was the core thing I came away with, is that it was really sort of darkly funny to me that the whole movie, from the very beginning, the conceit of it is that this is the movie that these college filmmakers made. Uh, and you're just watching the footage, sort of like Blair Witch. And right. the whole movie that you and I watched, uh, like down to the acting, the makeup, the special effects, the editing, the dialogue, it was all on about the level, to me, of a college student film. <laughs> it sure. was yes like 
I don't know. I just laughed at so many parts of it that I don't think I was supposed to be laughing at. I, don't, I can see the ambition that you were talking about, definitely. And I understand that he was, like, interested in what was changing about the world and what was going on. And I, as I said before, I think he could definitely see where things might be headed. Um, I just feel like maybe in trying to go back to his roots and he said in multiple interviews like land of the dead was just too big i was worried i was about to make beyond thunderdome and so i wanted to make like what a what a comparison by the way what a what a what a perfect comparison that's great it it really is and he made it in multiple interviews so he definitely had it on his mind um with, with Dennis, starring Dennis Hopper as Tina Turner. <laughs> Basically. Uh, but I think he, like, maybe he was just a little rushed. Like, I wish that he could have taken just a little more time with it um, rather than trying to capture the spirit of, like, ah, we're young, broke filmmakers and we've only got 20 days to do this and and so we're just going to make it happen. Because I think that the kernel of the idea of like how would the world react in this situation when everybody is connected everybody has a camera and everybody is able to have a voice you know how much can you trust any of the information that you're receiving from the outside world and i think that that's a much more interesting story than the dangers of trying to record everything or distancing yourself from the brutality of what's happening in front of you because you have a camera. I, I don't disagree. I, I, I think we, we actually have a lot of the same thoughts about this movie. It's just that the origin of, of all of our opinions is kind of the same points. Uh, but but they wind up at different destinations. Sure, I can see that. Like I, 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 I don't. I, I have not disagreed with a single one of your points. Uh, but for me, this this movie's just got it's got vibes, man. <laughs> this is <laughs> this movie passes the vibes check. Ah, uh, well, that's probably one of the segments that we should do while we're stuck here in <laughs> this checks. terrible uh, haunted yeah. farmhouse. Uh, do you want to get into segments? Yeah, let's do it. Who's that jabroni? Who is that jabroni? Uh, yeah, so this is the segment where uh, so zombie movies, uh, I, I think, pretty famously full of character actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, wall, just just wall-to-wall character actors. Mm-hmm. And so this is the segment where we talk about uh, people whose performances we found impressive or who you may have seen and gone, who who is that jabroni? And so what else they were in. Mm-hmm. Uh you want me to start, or do you want you want to do it? Uh, no, uh, go ahead, please. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I'll I'll go ahead and start with a couple of the cameos. Um, so, at some point, there is a uh, sort of stereotypical uh, Southern preacher on the on the radio telling them everyone like get on your knees, everybody uh, yep. get on your knees. Yeah. Do you know who that is, John? I. Don't I have maybe a guess, 
but I definitely okay. remember him because he swore at the end of his religious yeah. speech. Yes. Uh, that is uh, George Romero's personal friend and fellow uh, six foot four giant, uh, famed, acclaimed horror author Stephen King. Wait. Okay, you're telling me that's, that both George Romero and Stephen King are six foot four? Yes, that's why they were friends. I'm sure of it. <laughs> Liter- wow. Literally the only the only people in the in the room on the same level. Yeah, I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah, they're they're both enormous men. Wow. Uh, so it sounds like you knew that might have been Stephen King, but not that he was six foot four. Well, I did see uh, that many of the news broadcasts in the film were famous uh, horror related people, like as Quentin Tarantino, Wes Craven, Guillermo del Toro, Simon Pegg. Yeah, uh, I would not have known uh, where the other ones were mm-hmm. if I hadn't watched some of the special features, uh, which mm-hmm. included like the recording. Yeah, I couldn't tell. I was surprised when I read that. Yeah, Simon Pegg uh, especially is really like really in the background like of the audio mix mm. of the scene he's in. He's playing like you know a British newscaster, of course. Um, and they, they might have done that to keep it in cameo territory because he, he does have quite a quite a recognizable mm-hmm. voice, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, Stephen King is, of course, like doing a character, uh, so he gets to stay in. Quentin Tarantino, I had trouble recognizing. Uh, I, I remember hearing his voice, uh, but more his, his mannerisms. Um, uh, Guillermo del Toro has a... a a pretty good cameo that I, I wish had been uh, in the audio mix more, where he plays um, a, a apparently uh, like a Mexican politician, uh, or huh. uh, you know, uh, of uh, someone of Mexican descent, uh, mm-hmm. talking about immigration <laughs> and saying, uh, "Oh the, yeah, the, the real problem. Yeah, the real problem is not people." people crossing the border between our two countries it's it's uh, these things crossing the border between life and death yep i definitely um, remember that one which which i also i also like that that thought and that's another thing of like oh you could really you could make a a, a great movie about like people trying to cross into mexico or something from yeah. from texas in the zombie apocalypse, he could have something really good there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, uh, Del Toro's the the guy to do it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Wes Craven is also in it, and I have no idea what he is. I I don't think I could pick Wes Craven out of a lineup. No, me neither. Unless he was dressed as uh, I don't know the Crow. Yeah, Wes Wes Craven's the Crow. Yeah. Did he do the Crow? Yes. I feel bad. I don't think he, I don't think he did. Okay. No, that I'm was gonna pretend me. that I know who Russ Craven is. <laughs> he he did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, right, and a lot of other. Didn't he do uh, Scream as well? He he did he did Scream. Yep. Yeah. And that was about it, if I remember right. Yeah. I mean, he he did a bunch of others. He did uh, the Serpent and the Rainbow. Which, uh, if if we survive long enough and find another farmhouse that also has that DVD in it, uh, maybe we'll watch that. Oh, that would be nice. At some point. 
That would be nice. Yeah, hope, hopefully we'll we'll survive long enough to to watch uh, Wes Craven's problematic uh, Haitian zombie movie. Yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot else to look forward to, so I'll take it. I I guess not. Oh yeah, and he made Shocker, which uh, no one uh, another movie that no one likes, but it does have Mitch Pileggi as as a slasher villain who can use electricity. Sure. Sure. I uh, I did not know till this moment that Wes Craven was dead. What? I forgot. <laughs> I I don't remember yeah, hearing he, that. Really? He died in 2015. Okay, I, so I, not I related to that, the current zombie apocalypse. Uh, no, no. Um, I just I I had no idea. 2015. Holy cow! Gosh, gosh! I just kind of thought he was he was still with us. Right. Huh. Well, what did he? Okay, Scream Four was his last movie in 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Gosh. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's that's mine. Is a bunch of bunch of director cameos. Who's who's your next? Who's your jabroni? Well, my jabroni, uh, I've I've mentioned previously, is the professor. Uh, that it was particularly, I sort of like negatively drawn to um <laughs> like a a train wreck happening in slow motion like a train wreck yeah yeah um which, which is also your, your review of the movie if i'm not mistaken uh indeed indeed and i don't know there's just he stuck out like a sore thumb his thick accent and his mannerisms and his dialogue were just so laughable to me every time like it was hard to believe that he was actually a part of the original script as opposed to just sort of being improv in um that's fair well here i'll just tell you so i i looked him up i wanted to know more about this actor his name is scott wentworth as you mentioned and when i looked him up on wikipedia the summary that came up really said everything that i needed to know (laughs) Which is, and I'll read it to you verbatim. Scott Wentworth, born 1955, is an American actor and director who immigrated to Canada in 1986. Oh. Huh. So he's doing an accent. I genuinely had no idea. Yeah. And that was, like, it, the summary ends there. Like, the only thing he's notable for is that he did some theater and that he moved to Canada. Okay. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah. And I, it's possible, like, reading his, uh, his credits here in the theater, this guy received a Tony nomination in 1989. Oh. Oh, and it says he worked at the uh, Stratford festival yeah that's that's a big deal yeah best performance by a featured actor in a musical like i you know i don't want to uh crap all over this guy for this very bizarre role but it's it's interesting that he would be such a like presumably serious artiste on the stage and yet end up in something like this as well as i see in television uh, <laughs> Kung Fu: The Legend Continues, Law and Order, uh, X Thirteen: The Series. One gets the impression uh, 
that their casting process was uh, first, who's going to work for scale? Mm, mm-hmm. And and then, uh, and then who's left? And we're gonna we're gonna see those people audition. Uh, like it's a it's a competent cast. Sure, I think uh, they're not. I I don't know. I I don't think quite as as poorly the acting as as he did. I I suppose, but I also like. I don't know. Wasn't watching it for that. No one. No one was like horrible and off-putting i've i've seen i've seen worse in zombie movies but uh mm. yeah interesting so so uh not a jabroni that people might have seen um most okay. likely not it's, unless it's, they were very familiar with the new york theater scene yeah okay well it's my turn uh i want to talk about uh the biker in the girl's dorm when they go to rescue uh deborah please There's a guy who walks who walks out with a tv um you know what he reminds me of and is who did he remind you of? There's that very old internet meme of the large guy with kind of stringy sort of like hair and a beard and he's wearing an apron and he's got his hand in like a giant vat of beans. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking I'm about? Familiar with this? No, I do not. Okay. Uh, if if I'm, we still have I'm any for it. cell service left, I will try and locate it while you're talking. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, um, yeah. You'll have to. You'll have to. Sure. Maybe. Maybe. It, maybe. Here's here's my phone. You can look it up and see if it's on Wikipedia, which I, I'll remind you I downloaded. Which is how we're getting these facts. Oh, that is really helpful. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, all the all the links still work too. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm glad I'll, I'm glad I, I got the pointers and everything with it. I'm really impressed that you have um, a cell phone with like a terabyte of space. It's got one of those uh, little SD cards in it. Uh, so yeah, that that actor's name is is George Booza. Okay. Um, now you don't you don't know you don't know him. I'm gonna guess. I do not recognize the name. No. But you know his voice. Okay. That's. That is TV's Beast from the X-Men animated series. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> I'd know his voice from like 25 years ago. Yep. Yeah, that's that's great. And I I love I love him in this. He's only got uh two like, you know, just a couple lines of dialogue where he's like, "I'm stealing shit." And he's just so he's just so happy to be <laughs> to be committing these these crimes and he's he's like he has like a little giggle when he like runs off. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just he's such a scamp, right? <laughs> uh, and I I think that's great. It was definitely an an unexpected meeting in that scene. Yeah, and I, I I think it's great. And I was I was just wondering like who is that guy? Holy shit, that's that's beast. Now, do you have any idea how he was found for this movie? Uh, no, I I I. You're, you, I already pretty much said my my guess. <laughs> Just like they they found uh, cheap cheap reliable actors, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I think he's I think he's always been okay at that. I can't think of anyone in any of his movies I've seen who's who's been like completely miscast ever. I I don't know maybe like Mr. Cooper from the original Night of the Living Dead, but Mr. Cooper. That's, the the dad of the zombie girl? Yeah. I think he's a little wooden, 
but that's kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, even that I I would say is not really so bad. No, and he you know he had to cast from like the fifteen people he knew. Uh, <laughs> so, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, like his uh, the guy the guy who plays uh, Mr. Cooper's wife is uh, like George's secretary or something. Anyway, do you do you have another? Do you have a? Do we have room for one more jabroni? Uh, I I do not. I was so distracted by the professor that uh, that that was all I got. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you want to? I'll, I'll I'll lob one over the plate for you. You want to talk about Greg Nicotero? Ah, uh, yes, Nicotero. Uh, you probably know more about him than I do. Uh, what? Like, why should I know him? Uh, you know, you don't know his face, but you know his his work. Uh, once again, he is a makeup artist um, that has worked with with George a few times. He did like, oh my god, like what hasn't this guy done? He did uh, Green Mile. He did Mulholland Drive. He did uh, who who could forget Ghosts of Mars? <laughs> he did. <laughs> Uh, he did Thirteen Ghosts, which I I would say of 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 all of these movies had some of the more impressive makeup, even if it's not a very good uh, mm. good movie. Uh, Bubba Hotep, uh, a movie I I wow. really really like. Um, yeah, he did like that's one I saw. He in did everything school. that was interesting. Yeah, he he did. Uh, he's he's the. Um, I think he is the key artist on uh, Walking Dead. Yes, yes, uh, I believe I read that. Yep. Yeah, but he had he had worked with George Romero before mm-hmm. before that. Well, didn't he get his start uh, on Day of the Dead? I think so. That I was think my he was one of Tom Savini's assistants. I might have that wrong. Yes, yeah, that's his like first listed mm-hmm. credit. Mm-hmm. So that's neat. Apparently, he's also directing a bunch of uh, Walking Dead, which isn't too surprising because uh, they're they're down to like whatever dozen people that are still watching the show and are are now propping up the whole economy of Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it's it's not only is it still going on but there's like two more spin-offs coming out. That's just insane to me. Yeah. So do the spin-offs have anything to do with the comics or they're just new properties based on the TV show? Oh no, no. We're we're in George, we're in uh, George R R Martin completely off the map territory okay. here. Yeah. I, I thought maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh anyway, Greg Nicotero uh has a cameo appearance as a zombie doctor in the hospital sequence. That's right. And I I actually have a little story about that uh, apparently his father was a was a doctor, uh, like a was a surgeon. He mentioned this to to George Romero on some movie they were working on. He was like, you know, putting latex like and like blood all over some dude, and he yeah. was like, you know, my dad was always hoping I'd be a doctor like him. <laughs> and so years years and years later, uh, like after they shot that scene, like George sidled up to him and be like, you finally made your MD. <laughs> Just, just like a, a fun little, a fun little thing that he like remembered about, you know, his 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 colleague. I think that's great. I've got, uh, I've got one more jabroni if we've got a second. Absolutely, and then I, I have like a, a short addendum to it. 
Okay, <laughs> you've got a jabrindum? No, this is not Cut this out. No, definitely a jabrindum. <laughs> a t- <laughs> jabrindum. Uh, yeah, Alan Van Sprang uh, plays the National Guardsman who steals all their guns. Right. Or, no, I'm sorry. No, it's it's everything but their guns because... That guy uh, who's... Uh, oh, he gives off that, like, Jeffrey Dean Stanton vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm pretty sure I have that name right. So he plays uh, apparently the same character in the next film, uh, Survival of the Dead, which, sure, you know, okay, <laughs> let's let's hang a let's hang let's hang a movie on that guy. The whole movie. Uh, yeah. but he's a recur he's a recurring character on the Tudors. Okay, I've heard of that. Yes, he's uh, he plays Sir Francis Bryan, who was a, a courtier of King Henry the Eighth. Um, Mm-hmm. Who is what? Uh, what's his name again? Uh, Alan Van Sprang. Alan Van Sprang. Okay. Yep. In in. I just want to. He's in sexy tutors. Right. I want to confirm my uh, my suspicion here of who he. Oh, okay. It's not. It's not as direct as I thought. It might have been mostly the mustache that he had in the movie, but. Uh, is Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who I was thinking of, who I might have been mixing up with, I think, Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, anyway, Jeffrey Morgan... Neither, neither of them were in this film. No, they aren't. But I can at least tie it back in that Jeffrey Dean Morgan is a character in The Walking Dead. That's that's right, yeah. He plays uh, Negan. Right. Uh, and I just... Something about the way that alan played this national guardsman i was like hey that's like that guy from uh he he used to be in Grey's anatomy all that time ago who's that jabarni he he reminds me of that guy from uh from modern family who's also in zack snyder's dawn of the dead i don't know who that is uh i can't remember his name i'm not gonna look it up well okay well okay oh uh speaking of that movie yes the 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 gentleman who played Samuel, um, the the deaf Amish fellow, uh-huh. yeah. uh, was also was also in Zack Dawn of the Dead. He plays Glenn, who is the uh, the gay organist. Also Amish or no, just Protestant then. I sure. <laughs> he doesn't really discuss it. Oh, okay, okay. Sort of, uh, sort of tech turn. It, it it may surprise you to know that uh, Zack Snyder does does not have a, a complete worldview for all of his characters, uh, unlike George Romero. Huh. I, I would have thought so from every movie that I've seen of his, <laughs> especially Sucker Punch Man. Sucker you don't uh, you don't uh, you don't think that uh, Zack Snyder is is handing all of the background extras uh, a, a big journal of all of their family's histories and daily activities, like Kurosawa did. I, you know what? I actually think he does. <laughs> I, I think I think he does, and it's just uh, everyone looks in it, and it's just a copy of uh, the the Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> I was gonna. I went completely the opposite direction, and I was thinking like everybody reads it, but then they discover that their character is just a different character from the show Full House. <laughs> that, would, 
I would love to see that. <laughs> Just any any movie where the director has like uh, they're they're making a completely different movie, but the interiority of all of these other actors it's just full it's just the entire cast of full house (laughs) just and uh, it's you know the only notes is like use it (laughs) i would i would pay earth money to see that (laughs) if of course uh if of course money still had any meaning in uh in a land of, of turmoil and death boy did it ever i think we're are we good with with this segment uh, it sounds like we're out of jabronis unless you've got your jabrindum. Well, I was I, the the thing that I was going to mention earlier that you made me think of with um, uh, you were bringing up Greg Nicotero is that I do one thing that I do really appreciate about this movie that actually is in the behind the scenes context of it is that from what I've read, you know, George Romero he worked with a lot of the same people over his life. Um, like like our you know great hero orson wells uh he tended to work with the same people and i read that he he worked on land of the dead he went to toronto he had a couple of friends with him like peter grunwald who you mentioned and and greg nicotero and it seems like he just got so fed up with the whole thing and maybe even into like midlife crisis a little bit of like oh what am i doing here what how have i let this why am i making this particular movie and then his solution this was is, this is not my beautiful life this is not my my large industrial city absolutely uh and then he decides almost right away by his own description like you know what screw it i'm going completely the opposite direction i'm going to make the cheapest movie possible uh, I'm gonna hire a bunch of college students to do it. We're just gonna go out with whatever we have, and we're gonna shoot it. And I think it's it's cool that in that spirit, he went and made this movie with his old friends. Like he had Peter Grunwald again. He got Greg Nicotero back for both special effects and a cameo. He brought back. Uh, I read an interview with the executive producer John Harrison, who was both the composer and the assistant director on creep show and day of the dead. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And so like, particularly with day of the dead, it's like, Oh, he, you know, it's, uh, more than 20 years later almost. And he said, I want to recapture that magic of like these earlier movies that I was making. And so he got his, all his friends together and he just made a movie happen. And I, I will, absolutely respect and appreciate that that part of what he was doing should we enter the splatter zone well i haven't found any uh ponchos in this farmhouse but i oh john i'm talking about you know i'm talking about uncle savini's splatter zone the segment where we talk about an effect that we liked and either if we know how it was done, how they did it, and if we don't know how it was done, how they might have done it, or just why we liked it. John, you got one? I do got one. My effect, I wanted to say, was just the CG, but I can narrow it down at least to... Uh, you gotta pick one. Yeah, I know. So the That's scene... That's the rules. <laughs> well, the scene in which the infection is first like known... 
where they're shooting that newscast of a murder-suicide of a family, and, of course, the dead family members come back to life on the gurney and start attacking all the operators, or the ER workers. Right. So at one point during that, that segment, they show that the cops were there. They had that cop complaining about how ridiculous all of this was. And then the cops turn and they fired on a zombie who was like a shirtless, just sort of generic zombie coming towards the camera. And I looked at that and thought, is that CG? Is that whole zombie CG? I really think he was. And I I found myself taken out of the movie repeatedly because of every time there was a computer-generated effect, it was like, wow, this looks so much worse than all of the practical effects that they used to do. Another one you're talking about, I don't think he was, uh, but cer- certainly, certainly uh, the bullet hits. Oh, yes. All of the bullet hits. And... Um, that that does kind of stink because like those those do look very fake. And here, um, can I read you a quote real quick from George Romero? Oh yeah, sure. Okay, let's do it. I like I know I understand how he got there, uh, even if I don't get why he did it. He said he was comparing to how much harder it was to film movies earlier, and he said now it's like being in a dark room for photography. You can go in and add a shadow, or you can do whatever you want to do. So therefore, you can shoot it quicker. You can shoot with basically flat light and fix it later. And you're out of there. The most expensive part of the process is being on set. Like shooting a zombie in the head. You put a squib on him, the squib blows off, stains the wall, but you didn't get the shot. Now you got to clean the wall, put another squib on the guy, fix his makeup, and all of a sudden you're 45 minutes behind. Much easier to have the hero point the gun, the zombie falls, you add the gun, flash, and sputter, and post, and you got it. You're off the set. That's the main thing, getting off the set. And I don't... Yeah, I mean... I have worked in visual effects. I don't understand how that could ever possibly be cheaper than just putting a squib on a guy and taking <laughs> an extra 45 minutes. Uh, I think, you know, a little bit of this is like times have changed. Um, a lot of effects houses and stuff, especially in like Canada and the mm-hmm. UK... Or, like, outsourced to other parts of the world. Like, that's why you start seeing so many, like, effects-heavy BBC shows around that time. Mm. Uh, like, Doctor Who especially got, got way into effects. Now, they all looked hokey. But it was it was cheap. It was a lot cheaper than figuring it out. Uh, and there was, just, there was just no time, you know, <laughs> to, to do that stuff. Uh, and I, I, I do wonder, you would know much better than I would. Uh, I I do wonder like if if some of that stuff has changed, uh, and like I I don't know if it's just a thing of like effects artists are going hey we would like more money now <laughs> please, uh, because I, I I know that was that that was a discussion that was happening like when we were in in school together mm-hmm. of like a, a lot of VFX artists were going like hey uh, it seems like we're carrying the whole movie now why don't you pay us good mm-hmm. the the same way that hollywood treats any sort of uh emerging technology as hey this this is going to be a lot cheaper yeah yeah <laughs> and until 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 people start demanding equal rights or whatever <laughs> 
so I don't I don't know I, I think they were pretty selective with their shots and I, I think some of it was like okay so the the zombie with the they smash a, a bottle of acid into its yeah, head yeah. acid eats away at its brain yep. yeah obviously that looks like shit that's not the point <laughs> like uh, the point was uh, how do you do that with makeup and the answer is well you probably don't uh, <laughs> unless you have a whole du- like an entire dummy that's being eaten away by something like a real chemical uh-huh, right. um, also. By the way, I think if you shattered a, a glass of acid on a zombie's head and the glass shattered, I think you'd get some on your hands is what I'm trying to say. And that would be Yeah, bad. Yeah, it did seem to... I, maybe it was really concentrated hydrochloric acid, but I was surprised at how quickly that ate through everything. It got, it got right Because isn't hydrochloric acid the stuff you have in your stomach? Uh, I think so, but... I, I also think like that's what they use for radiocarbon dating and you wear like a whole rubber suit so it doesn't touch your skin because oh, okay. if it does okay. uh, it'll kill it'll kill you. Yeah, I'll I'll take that. Or something it's either I'm not a I'm not a chemist. I'm not an acidologist here. I got acid reflux sometimes, but that's about as far as I go. Boy, that is not what you want to hear in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. No, it's it's even it's even worse now because it's all scavenged twinkies and Ritz crackers. <laughs> I gotta get some leafy greens, John. <laughs> John, we gotta loot like a. We we need to we need to get up early tomorrow and go looting uh, when the farmers market is set. <laughs> I you're you're right. I don't. I, I shouldn't even. I'm laughing at how simple it is. Yeah, that's that's what we and should. And that be I doing. should have thought of that myself. Yeah, we'll just wake up with the chickens. <laughs> And go, we're gonna go loot some bok choy. <laughs> Get that fiber. That was a that was a fish album, right? Looting some bok choy at the farmers market <laughs> to get some fiber. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always quoting that one. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I, I have one uh, particular effect. It's okay, uh, yeah. when they go to to Deborah's house and her family is there and her zombie little brother jumps on her mm-hmm. and they they shoot him with an arrow and that pins him to the wall. Yeah, Scott, uh, Scott Wentworth just suddenly hulks out. It's your boy. It's your boy, yes, Scott Wentworth. Indeed. Uh, going, going full catness, <laughs> and he he shoots him right in the head, and mm-hmm. it's it's such a such a mighty powerful draw that it it pins him to the uh, to the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I thought this was great. It's my favorite zombie kill of the movie. It's it's utterly ridiculous, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they they did that surprisingly practically. Really, they used a uh, like a teenage stunt performer. Okay, for the the zombie, which is also interesting and like, that's got to be a legal like gray area, <laughs> right? Maybe <laughs> laws. Uh huh. Ma- maybe laws are are well, because usually with with kids, uh, usually it's like there's there's a whole like sub industry of like petite women stunt performers, sure. f- specifically to like be kids. I, I think in in fact we we went to school with a couple of them so like uh, yeah yep yeah and, and and I think that's that's neat but no they use like 
like an actual teenage uh, stunt actor who is uh, himself the child of another st- whatever. Anyway, so yeah. that he had a, a, a harness, of course, that yanked him back onto this fake wall mm. on, a, on a wire. So it's a, it's a pretty simple effect. And that they added the arrow uh, in post and removed, uh, of course, his head bouncing when it hits the wall. Mm-hmm. That, like, also CG. I think that's that's great. It's a very simple effect but it's very quick uh mm-hmm. it also comes at the end of the most complicated shot in the movie mm-hmm. Ac- according to the interviews i've seen the the very long like oneer where they go into the house they go through like two different rooms yep. into the garage out of the garage and then uh fight off the the zombies mm-hmm. um that i think was uh they they refer to that a couple times being their most difficult shot that's not too surprising uh, it is very long. He had certainly never done anything like that in his career. And it makes sense that it's inside a house, because that's, like, that's one of the few real long indoor segments. You know, they, they needed to be able to control that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's mine. Any thoughts on that one? Uh, I will say that that was definitely one of the biggest gasps that came from me while watching this movie. And some of them were just at how ridiculous or audacious the effect was. But that was like, wow, I definitely haven't seen that in a zombie movie before. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's surprising and like impressive that they went for it, even when it is ridiculous in a way. <laughs> and very realistic. I didn't know how they, how they would have done it other than some weird CG stuff. No, I mean, there, there was some weird CG stuff in it, but uh, it was largely a practical effect, which is, I think, one of the reasons it looks good. Yeah. Okay, so I think we should probably wrap it up here and uh, start reinforcing these boards. So why don't we talk about, like, our last little ideas. I'm thinking of calling it Choke on Him. Uh, very good. Does that sound? Very good. All right. These are yeah. any last thoughts that we don't want to choke on. Exactly. Thank you, I don't Colonel have, Rhodes. I don't have any this time. <laughs> Thank you, Colonel Rhodes. Uh, you, you died doing what you loved, uh, being wrong about shit. <laughs> I think the last thought that's coming to mind is the main character, Jason, right? Yeah. Like, the whole movie, he's clearly obsessed with finishing this movie uh, and not actually interacting with what real life is happening around him. And... It's just so obvious throughout the whole thing. But I never got what his motivation was or how he thought that was going to work. Because it's like unless he's so psychotic that he just has lost all control of reality, you would have to realize that in a zombie apocalypse, there's not going to be anyone to watch this. Or like, why would anybody other than a cartoon villain be thinking of whether they're going to be nominated for an Oscar for this. He, he, he says his motivation out loud twice. Uh, num- number one, that he had always dreamed of being a documentarian. Uh, he, he says that like way early on when we're meeting the characters, uh-huh. and he's, he's like mad that he's making a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, even though he chose it, he's like, I don't know why, but to challenge myself, I decided to make a horror movie, even though I always wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Deborah shows a little cut of like something he recorded himself saying at the very end of the movie. She shows this thing from like the first 
moments of the outbreak where he's like, I'm really excited that this opportunity dropped in my lap. Like, yeah. this is this is just it's it's just a chance to like realize a, a dream, I guess. I, I don't know if that's a strong motivation, but it, it well, is like it is realized. OK, here's the I, you've spawned two new straight thoughts. OK, OK. I guess it's telling he uses the word opportunity to describe everything that's happening. Absolutely. The first thought that'll get out of the way is, God, do I want to see the documentary that Werner Herzog would make were he to find himself in a zombie apocalypse? It would be it would be so good. It really would. So Werner, Werner, my friend, if you're listening, uh, just point the camera outside and turn on your mic. Uh we're we're really curious about what your what your thoughts are in this whole situation. Absolutely. But then the second thing would be Jason, yes, he does say that bit at the end about like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this opportunity and like, you know, I'm definitely gonna live up to the moment and stuff like that. And it, it just struck me as like, how could anybody but a complete psychopath about like, oh my god, this is such an amazing opportunity for my career. John, you've you've spent when time what's around. Going around them. Like that's a that's an unrealistic cartoon sort of villain to me that's film that's film students like myself yes (laughs) (laughs) so many of you were like that it was infuriating oh boy okay well it's a good thing i said something because i did not realize this at the time it wasn't all of you it wasn't the the ones i still speak to I mean, th- thank thank God our culture has evolved where we have a, a term for this now. That's theater kid energy, <laughs> right? That's that's all that is. Of like, you're always like you're you're always trying to find your angle. You're trying to work the room, mm-hmm. and like you're 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 performing, hoping that there's going to be like a benefit to you for doing that at some point. That's just that's just theater kid energy, like, and he's he's got that, and I I, I think that's that. That's really accurate. And I, I think that does kind of answer, like, that scene is meant to answer your question of, like, why would you do this? You would have to be, like, troubled somehow to willingly distance yourself from reality. And I I, I think they, they do establish that his character is that. And I, I, I do think that was, like, on purpose. Mm. I the, the essay I read about this talks about uh, the time when he sees his own reflection mm-hmm. when he's walking around the empty warehouse. Yeah. Um, and he's startled by his own reflection because he would be. He does not wish to, he does not wish to, in a very real sense, confront himself. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so, like, he, he sees his own reflection. He's startled by it. And the only way he can disarm this is to point the camera at it, like, directly. That's, that's, his, that's his defense. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying, even if I'm not convinced yet. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't trick you into liking this this movie <laughs> with my with my honeyed words. <laughs> but uh, but all, all I can all I can do is try and get you to to go. Oh, okay, I, I see where you're coming from. But well, Theron, I see where you you're know. coming from. Great. Uh, let's sh- should we rate this sucker? Yes. Let me let me close out this segment with one last quick quote from executive producer john harrison oh i love it i love it it's very clever i was really proud to be involved with it like any film there are little things here and there little winces maybe <laughs> and that was it that was him in an interview about diary of the dead 
Yep. Yep. Uh, so let's rate this sucker. Yeah. Now, uh, now that society has collapsed, we're not we're not constrained to to the rules. Mm-hmm. We we don't have to be uh, limited to the tyranny of of thumbs up, thumbs down, four out of five, or yeah. out of tens, mm-hmm. or uh, grades, letter grades. Those were a bad idea to start. Seventy percent tomatoes. Seventy uh, percent tomatoes. How many tomatoes? Uh, I, I I would I would kill a man for a tomato now. I may never see another one again. Mm-hmm. Those cans of tomatoes we ate from the kitchen, just straight out of the can. That might be it. That might be the last one. I might have to make do. <sighs> Boy, you are not making it easy to get to the end of this podcast. We are. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you have something else going on <laughs> while the bloodthirsty dead are pounding at the door? <laughs> so we're, we're going to take each of these movies and uh, kind of figure out which which of the Romero uh Sex tuplets, sex. Is that right? Six. Six. Yeah, I think they're six. No. Which of which of uh, Romero's six bot uh, zombie movies? Mm -hmm. uh, Each one is is closest to, and and how well it does. And I think we'll do we'll do this out of five and whole numbers only. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the lowest is one, not zero. Right. Uh, So I'm going to rate this five Diaries of the Dead out of five. Interesting. I, I think this was the movie he could have made. Like, with with the things that were going on at the time and the resources that he had kind of thing? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And I, I, I think this movie, like, came came to him in a in a way that might not... He, he, like, had this idea out of being frustrated with Land of the Dead and, like, just seeing, like, so much Iraq War stuff on the, on the TV. Um, mm. A lot of the stock footage uh, and, like, images are just... are taken from, like real world events that were happening at the time uh and a lot of it was like police actions a lot of it was uh riots and violence in other parts of the world and this doesn't like this avoids the easy route of like stealing images from 9-11 but you can kind of feel it through the news broadcasts that are just kind of ever present Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of uh confused people both trying to figure out what's what's happening and trying to make their voices heard, whether that's contributing anything or not. Mm. And to to me, I was in you know I was in St. Louis, far from the uh, the center of events. But uh, to to me, that that most closely matched uh, my my feelings of of that day and the in the next few that that followed of uh, just just the confusion and like needing to be glued to media constantly to figure out what was happening and what was going to be done sure so again you know vibes yeah i can i i respect that i see that <laughs> well i guess what what you say reinforces the thought that i had which is that i would be so curious to know what movie romero would have made at the time that he saw the Trump presidency play out and like where the level of misinformation on the internet was going to go. <laughs> I, I have no idea. He wouldn't have been subtle. <laughs> okay. Have you seen survival of the dead? I have. So I thought like I had that thought and then I was like, Oh, maybe that's what survival of the dead is about. Not really. Survival of the dead is, is a lot more self-contained. Okay. Interesting. Uh, well, I hope we can locate that DVD somewhere in this house. I it, if if they left Diary of the Dead, they they almost certainly left Survival. Uh, what's what's your what's your rating? That's a good point. 
So for me, I would say whole ratings only. This movie is a three out of five Diaries of the Dead. Okay. Uh, interesting. Not not terribly surprising. Right. I, I figured you wouldn't be. And you used the phrase ambitious failure earlier. And to me, that's what this was. Like I can, I've read and I've imagined what could have been with this kernel of an idea that apparently Romero and his friends had for several years. And the movie that I watched just did not live up to what I thought it could be. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, you and uh, your your friends could make that movie. Sure. Um, yeah. And I don't I don't think either he wasn't equipped for it or like it was, you know, too, too, too ahead of its time <laughs> or he didn't. Uh, I mean that in the sense that like he didn't sit on it long enough mm-hmm. uh, if if he'd made if he'd made this even like one or two years later or had another rewrite, he would have had the chance to see like what real bullshit we can get up to. And also he wouldn't have had a, a competition on MySpace because that was, that was heading out the door. Uh, that was going that out the door. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think... Well, here, there's there's one last quote I wrote down because I thought it was it struck me. It was George Romero saying, but there's also a lot I didn't have time to talk about last time, referring to Diary about media and about the dangers of it i have a whole notebook of ideas that i could use diary of the dead is a fun rise but there's a lot more to say and the impression i got is that he like he had such a great spark of an idea and i wish that he had just gone a little further with it yeah it seemed like he was genuinely excited about this like idea yeah from what i've read yeah and i understand why i totally get it um, okay. Well, on that note, uh, John, looks like they're coming through the. Looks like they're coming through the windows. Oh, is that? Is that what the noise is? Yeah, that's what that noise is. Uh, all right. Yeah, I guess we should go. Let's go deal with that. Yeah, uh, over right, there well, in the corner. Yeah. In the meantime, everybody, uh, stay safe and get them in the head. Kill the ghoul. Oh, should we? Should we? <laughs> should. Let's 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 do that. Yeah, let's do that again. Uh, <clears throat> in the meantime, everybody, stay safe and remember: if you kill the brain, you kill the ghoul. I think we got it. Sure. <laughs>